Insider, the Africa-focused podcast offering some informal but well-informed Africa-focused conversation touching on news, current affairs, culture and other ongoing topics of interest. I'm Karen Allen and I'm speaking to you from South Africa. My co-presenter Tara O'Connor, the Managing Director of ARC, the Pan-African Risk Consultancy firm Africa Risk Consulting, joins me from the UK. We both live, breathe and work African affairs and our podcast aims to stimulate ideas among those who share a fascination with this part of the world. Tara, welcome. Hello, Karen. I'm on the road in Cape Town. We don't get out of the studio often, so uh, nice to be here. And my goodness, what a few weeks it's been since we last spoke. Two states of emergency in the Horn of Africa jailed South African athlete Oscar Pistorius could be up for parole, and Portuguese troops in the Central African Republic are being investigated for a major diamond drugs and gold smuggling operation. There's been an awful lot going on. And Tara, as we record this, we're getting breaking news that the man who helped negotiate South Africa's new dispensation and earned a Nobel Peace Prize doing it, President F.W. de Klerk, has died. Of course, there'll be many obituaries to be expected in the coming days. But you'll remember he was a man who stood side by side with Nelson Mandela to negotiate the end of white minority rule and arguably help prevent South Africa dissolving into all-out war. And indeed, he continued to advocate for peace and reconciliation through his own private foundation as he stepped down from public life. Yes, he will always be remembered as the man who recognised the writing on the wall and uh, and actually rose to the challenge of change. And to trail ahead, we have an exciting podcast guest today coming from the world of basketball, our first sports guest. Yeah, looking forward to that one, Tara. But first, let's take a look at some of the other stories that have been in the news since our last podcast. <laughs> To our breaking news this morning, nations at the COP26 summit in Glasgow have signed off on an historic climate agreement after negotiations extended well into the night and well beyond the initial deadline. The final agreement maintains a request for nations to update their pledges by the end of the year. But commitments to help poorer nations have been softened as has a pledge to phase out coal. Many countries express reservations to aspects of the text. In Liverpool, England, where police have declared a deadly taxi explosion outside a hospital yesterday was a terrorist attack. For the first time ever in an election, the ANC support has fallen below 50%. Of the country's eight metros, the ANC only governs outright in two. The party will now enter into coalition talks in five other metros, including the capital, Pretoria. We begin this edition with a focus on the Horn of Africa nation of Ethiopia, where Abiy Ahmed's government has been locked in a year-long war with the Tigray People's Liberation Front or the TPLF. In the latest, Ethiopia has now outlined conditions for possible talks. It is official, the conservatorship of Britney Spears has been terminated. After 13 years, the conservatorship which has ruled over Britney Spears' life and finances has finally come to an end. Well, picking up on some of those stories, Tara, Nigeria's launched a digital currency. It's called the e-Naira and it's being touted as a way of being able to speed up transactions, cut through regulation, curb black market trading and eventually drive market inclusion for millions of Nigerians. How successful and popular the new digital currency will be, though, is going to be very much dependent on the widening use of smartphones. We talk about smartphones so much. 
about a third of the population of Nigeria currently uses them. And critically, ensuring that these people understand the technology and the app that enables them to make payments without an intermediary will be a real test of how successful this new digital currency will be. Yes, and it's a very clever way to reach the majority of Nigerians, Karen, who don't have, many of whom don't have bank accounts, most of whom don't have bank accounts and don't trust banks. Then on to Ethiopia. International governments have actually started to evacuate their nationals from the country as we see worrying trends in escalation and tensions following the revival of hostilities between the Tigrayan People's Liberation Front, the TPLF, who have dominated the national political scene for several decades, and the centralised government of President Abiy Ahmed. Uh, the government has declared a state of emergency and rebels from the northern region of Tigray are advancing on the, to the south. Now, the UN has accused the Ethiopian government of detaining its staff. The government accuses those individuals it has detained of having ties with the TPLF, but the UN believes it's actually a response to human rights concerns being raised by the aid groups. They claim that both Ethiopian government forces and Tigrayan rebels have engaged in widespread rapes and other war crimes. Yes, Tara, and their tensions in Sudan too. After the October the 25th coup, which saw the military seize power from the civilian transitional government, and the brief arrest of Prime Minister Abdallah Hamdok, we've seen mass protests on the streets by pro-democracy campaigners in the face of violent responses by the authorities. We've seen hundreds of protesters being rounded up and arrested daily, and just like Ethiopia, a state of emergencies in place. And as we record this, Tara, a two-week internet blackout is still in place, despite a court order demanding that telecoms providers restore access. And that's a tactic we see far too frequently elsewhere. Absolutely. You're listening to The Ark Insider, the Africa-focused podcast with Karen Allen and Tara O'Connor. Our guest on today's podcast fuses the world of investment banking with the world of sport. He's a man whose job it is to broaden the reach of basketball into Africa and to shine a spotlight on the investment opportunities the sport brings. But before we begin, and just to get us into the mood, here's a flavour of the excitement the sport evokes and a handful of fast facts for basketball novices like Tara and me. Basketball was introduced as a sport in Africa by missionaries in the mid-20th century. It's the second most popular sport across the continent. Players from Cameroon, Nigeria, Senegal, South Sudan, and the Democratic Republic of Congo, amongst others, have been poached by scouts and picked to play for the top American teams. Twelve clubs from across 12 countries in Africa play in the Basketball Africa League, which is the NBA's first overseas league, launched in 2020 in partnership with FIBA Africa. The NBA has established NBA Africa, an investment vehicle for basketball on the continent, which is valued at approximately one billion US dollars. Well, thanks to our basketball correspondent, Leonard, for that. So it's time to welcome possibly the most important man in the basketball world in Africa, the NBA's Victor Williams. Victor, delighted to have you here. You were our first sporting guest on the Ark Insider. Uh, thanks very much, Karen and Tara. Nice to be here. And um, I'm honored to be your first uh, sporting guest. We clearly need to do a better job of selling sports as a business uh, um, in, uh, or vehicle for economic growth and development on the continent. But uh, happy to be the first. 
and welcome. And I'm here in London, uh, Victor. And just by way of background, you are a Sierra Leonean US national. And when I first met you, you were in uh, the world of investment banking. And now here we find you deep in the world of, of basketball. And so, and, and in fact, um, that's after a career at Wells Fargo in North Carolina and Goldman Sachs in New York. And now this job has been created for you specially to head up the US uh, NBA's strategic interest in Africa. How did that come about? Thanks a lot, uh, Tara. So as you say, I, I did uh, spend quite a few years in investment banking, more than 20 years. Uh, but I've been a sports fan for even longer than that, uh, almost from the time I was a boy. And I was uh, first introduced to basketball when I moved to the U.S. from Sierra Leone um, many, many years ago. Um, and I fell in love with the sport. I, it, you play, obviously. Uh, I play poorly. <laughs> well, I, I, I'm more, I more follow the sport. Uh, my son's a much better player than I am. So if I think of it in that uh, context, then no, I'm not a great basketball player, but I'm a huge fan of the sport. Victor, sorry, an obvious question. Are you a tall guy? I'm uh, 6'1", uh, 185 centimetres. So I'm not short, but I'm not uh, tall in a basketball sense where people are often 6'4", <laughs> 6'5", and maybe up to 7 foot. So, no. So, yeah, so I, I, I've had a you know, huge interest in the sport for many, many years. Um, I used to be a season ticket holder for... Uh, one of the NBA teams when I was in Charlotte, North Carolina. And um, even, you know, throughout my years in banking, I've followed sports closely and, and the business of sports. It's always been a, an interest of mine. And so I was approached actually by a headhunter about uh, this role. And um, they disclosed to me the NBA was looking for a CEO to head their business in Africa and to help grow the business over the next uh, 10 years. Um, and as someone with an interest in sport, but also someone who at that time had developed, you know, a lot of experience working across the continent, growing businesses across the continent, um, it was an intriguing proposition. I've always had a lot of admiration for the NBA uh, for how it runs and operates itself. It's been the most global of the American sports leagues. And so the opportunity to join it and to help grow the business in Africa was, I thought, a unique opportunity that I wanted to get involved in. So that's how I that's how I ended up in the role. Well, Victor, the NBA has established its first professional basketball league outside of North America. The sport's rapidly expanding and becoming hugely popular across the continent. I've noticed many schools here in South Africa are running junior leagues. You see the same in many other African countries. How are you building the talent pool across the continent? Well, I, I mean, you're absolutely right in the momentum that uh, we the game has across the continent. And um, we are generally seeing um, in many countries that this is uh, the fastest growing sport with the youth. Um, and they are turning to basketball and away from other sports. And uh, we want to continue to encourage that by uh, continuing to expand our grassroots programs, um, as well as building, you know, more predictable pathways to help people or youth get from playing the game at a grassroots level to eventually being elite professional players. So the junior leagues that you talk about, um, some of which are sponsored by us and other, and some by other people in the 
basketball ecosystem are absolutely uh, vital in terms of driving early participation. Many Africans who play the game, and you talked earlier about some of the African players that are in the NBA today from various countries, they started playing the game at ages 13 and 14, 15, you know, which is quite late from a basketball perspective. So we would love to get more kids playing the game as early as ages six through eight. And so we're looking to expand the junior league programs that we run, um, as well as putting in place other mechanisms like camps and basketball schools to continue to train kids. And Victor, the US League works in dividing the states uh, between East and West and then building up to the end of the season playoffs, as far as I understand, as a novice. You've just completed your first season. And so in a nutshell, how does the Africa League work? The way we've set up the league is that there are about six countries, which either because they are you know, traditional basketball powers or the host of um, our finals, the champions of those six countries automatically qualify to play in the Basketball Africa League. Um, Victor, can basketball really become the multi-billion dollar business that soccer has become globally? Because you're talking about investment opportunities here. You've talked about the possibility that um, basketball could actually outstrip soccer in terms of popularity. So when we talk about the investment opportunities, what does that mean? Is it is it television rights, corporate partnership, sponsorship, mentoring? What what sort of things? Yeah, so we absolutely believe that basketball can become, you know, uh, eventually a billion dollar business um, uh, in Africa, um, and uh, that's not all going to happen um, in one in one year, starting from where we are today. Uh, but um, over time, absolutely. And we see that happening as a result of, yes, um, uh, television uh, partnerships and sponsorships, corporate uh, sponsorships, uh, the growth of live events such as the Basketball Africa League, especially as we expand that into multiple countries across the continent, the growth of merchandising uh, and licensing uh, rights, um, uh, for both NBA and BAL gear and apparel and f- uh, footwear, um, as you know, as well as um, uh, extending the NBA and BAL brands into new categories. So we think basketball um, uh, and the, our brands will have a particularly strong resonance with fashion and lifestyle. Uh, with um, health and wellness and uh, and food and beverage. And so we'll be looking to extend our brand into, into those areas as well. And we think there's an exciting possibility and potential to build a direct-to-consumer business in Africa, given the uh, increasing prevalence of uh, mobile phones and the general uh, drive towards streaming of content and monetizing that streamed content. So we think that's an opportunity for us as well. And this investment vehicle that you talk about, that's valued at 1 billion US dollars. That sounds like an awful lot of money. You've got backing of of high profile figures, including the former president of the US, uh, Barack Obama, as well as a number of high profile basketball players from Africa. Are you expecting to get a lot of African investors expressing an interest? We have uh, two main groups of investors. One is a consortium of African business people led by 
Tunde Folawio, who's um, a Nigerian industrialist. Uh, and then we have an investment from um, that is led by Tope Lawani um, through the Helios um, uh, group of investment companies that he uh, is co-CEO of. Um, and so those two sets of investors uh, come with a lot of experience in on the African continent, operating in multiple countries, running lots of different kinds of businesses, and we think that they're going to be very helpful to what we do. In addition, we, um, we went to some of our former NBA players who had an, a keen interest in, in Africa, um, and then we also announced the partnership with uh, President Obama. So um, the presence of African investors was actually a critical and the first piece of our investment um, group, so to speak. And, uh, and that was the very first piece we focused on. And how do you ensure that the benefits uh, from any investment remain on the continent? And, and also the question I had for you is, is the talent pool that you're building is how, how, how do we ensure that this just doesn't become a feeder uh, continent for the NBA league in the States? Well, what, what are your views on that, uh, Victor? Well, I mean, I think the Basketball Africa League um, is a key part of how we've thought about both of those issues. Um, so today, um, if you actually had an interest in playing professional basketball, you're leaving the continent. Um, a few players go to the NBA, but many go on to Europe and in the Middle East and, 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 uh, and elsewhere, and uh, Asia, to, to play the game in a variety of leagues uh, in those areas. They don't stay on the African continent, uh, by and large, the ones who are talented. And so the Basketball Africa League and the way we're setting it up and the standards to which we're operating it, will, we intend that to become the primary destination for African players, for them to stay on the continent, build their careers and their brands here, uh, inspire African youth, create African stories of, of, of sporting heroes. And so um, it, 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 it will be uh, part of the answer to that, that question. And then the, sec the second piece I would say is that, you know, um, certainly uh, in the first few years, this is much more of an investment story than it is a, um, you know, a profit story. So all of that investment is happening on the African continent, whether it's the growth of our, our programs, investing in uh, the building out of infrastructure and, 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 and courts and the like. Um, and obviously, we intend for this to be something that is eventually profitable. And again, because we have, you know, primarily a group of investors that are from Africa um, and investing in the African continent, I would expect they will put their money uh, back into the continent. In the, the publicity material that the NBA has on its site, the move into Africa is, is seen really as a, a development tool as much as anything, a way of developing tourism, especially in a post-COVID environment. Can you tell us what your vision is for that? So, you know, we've been very clear, and when I say we, I mean the NBA uh, leadership and our governors, that um, what we're looking to do with our business in Africa is, yes, it's about basketball, yes, it's about you know, a strong business proposition, but we also 
see the possibilities of basketball uh, and sport in general becoming a tool for greater economic development on the continent. And so um, we see, we think that as we grow our business, we will catalyze a number of other um, economic areas. So tourism is one of those. And if I take, for example, the Basketball Africa League, when we held the finals in Kigali uh, last uh, May, uh, we had people travel into Kigali to attend uh, that tournament and then stayed on to, you know, visit, you know, uh, parts of Rwanda, go see the gorillas, uh, you know, visit some of the game parks. Um, and so... Uh, sports became a driver for tourism. We've seen sport becoming a tool for corruption. FIFA, the footballing body, has been riddled with corruption allegations. Close to home, we've seen the Kenyan sports minister recently convicted of corruption for allegedly diverting money away from the Olympic team. Here in South Africa, you know, there's been allegations and investigations into match fixing in cricket South Africa. What measures are the NBA taking uh, to try and minimise the sport becoming a sort of cash cow, a cash cow for crooks? So, look, I mean, um, we can't speak to, or at least on this podcast, I don't want to speak to some of those examples that you've um, um, talked about in, in other sports and in other places. What I can say in terms of what we're uh, doing, so first of all, we operate with a very high set of uh, integrity uh, standards uh, internally and with the people that we deal with. We operate, you know, transparently and and ethically in 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 everything that that we do. And certainly, we want to be proponent for higher standards of um, of uh, integrity and in how sports is run on the continent and 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 globally. Sports is a, as a geopolitical thing is is hugely important, and I know that um, you know from our research the NBA uh, investment in uh, in Africa is uh, is a counterbalance. I think is it not to China where the NBA was banned in 2019, which must have been an enormous blow. Isn't this sort of securing? Uh, the future global investment of uh, of the NBA. The NBA has been very interested in growing the game globally for many many years. You know, so so we've been focused on ex, you know sh spreading our game across to various countries across the world for many many uh, years. China is one place where that we went to early. We achieved tremendous success there. We did run into the issues you referred to in 2019, but we're not actually banned in China. That's the part I wanted to correct. Um, so essentially our games were being uh, broadcast on a number of different channels in China, uh, both what we would call uh, linear television, so normal broadcast television, as well as digitally. Um, our games on linear television are no longer broadcast, uh, but we continue to operate on digital television uh, in China. We continue to have many Chinese uh, partners and sponsors. We continue to do uh, other activities with youth and social media and influencers in China. And so our business in China continues to be substantial and continues to be successful. So... I wouldn't say that 
necessarily growing our business in China is a in Africa is a counterweight to China, but I would say that we are interested in growing the game in many, many different places. So moving on to the uninitiated, uh, like yeah. uh, Karen and me, what are the big events in the calendar that we're now going to have to uh, uh, look out for and uh, and st- and stream ourselves? Huh. So, um, well, you know, in Africa, we are covered um, or our games are broadcast on across all 54 countries on various uh, pay TV um, uh, channels, as well as um, various uh, free to air uh, channels across the the continent. We recently, for example, announced a partnership with SABC in South Africa, and we have existing partnerships uh, with Nation Media uh, in in Kenya. So I would point people to our slate of games on Christmas Day. We t- we try and and own Christmas uh, mm-hmm. with uh, I think five games. Uh, All Star Celebration in February is always a highlight over um, three nights and a great opportunity to watch uh, some of our rising stars, to watch the uh, skills contest, the three-point contest, the ever-popular dunking uh, contest, as well as the All-Star game itself, which will uh, feature, you know, a number of international players, I'm sure. And then the WNBA, our Women's League, uh, also will... You've been yeah. briefed. That was going to be our next yeah. question. Yeah. What about the women? Yeah. We've heard about the yeah. fellas. Tell us what's happening with the women in the sport. <laughs> so, so you know, I think as a league, we're very proud of our commitment to gender inclusion and representation. The WNBA, which is our league for uh, women, has just celebrated its 25th anniversary uh, season uh, with great success, great ratings, and um, new partners, and 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 a whole bunch of uh, accomplishments. We have several uh, players from Africa and of African parentage that play yeah, uh, in the in in the WNBA, um, and uh, for our NBA Africa business, we. I've made commitments uh, that we announced uh, back on International Women's Day to um, uh, drive greater gender inclusion and representation in the sport, both in on-court participation, but also in off-court leadership roles. So we want to see more female referees and coaches and game officials and administrators. And at the Basketball Africa League finals in Kigali, we had female referees um, uh, officiating a men's professional game, which we think is one of the first times that has happened on the African continent. If Tara and I practice a lot, we might be in with a chance, possibly. I was in a very, very top netball team, but it was about 30 years ago. (laughs) You know, I will say, uh, in all seriousness, we've seen great transitions made by um, women who grew up playing netball into basketball. Some of the skills of shooting and defense are are similar. So yeah, I think there is always hope for anyone with a growth mindset, Cara. Seems like the perfect place to end. Victor Williams, thank you very much indeed. Thank you very much, ladies. I've enjoyed uh, this conversation with you. Thank you. 
You've been listening to The Ark Insider with me, Karen Allen and Tara O'Connor. Thanks for joining us. If you're interested, Tara's team at Ark produces reports on 22 countries across Africa. You can subscribe to these by contacting info at africarisconsulting.com. And if you enjoyed this podcast, please do let us know. You can use the same address and do feel free to share it on social media and amongst friends. Bye for now.